This is the Education Gadfly Show. Oh, oh wait, that's that, that, no. that old. <laughs> wait. No, we are that old. <laughs> <laughs> What does Gadfly say? Hello, this is your host, Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute here at the Education Gadfly Show and online at edexcellence.net. And now, please join me in welcoming my co-hosts, the Mariah Carey and Ryan Seacrest of Education Reform, Alyssa Schwenk and Brandon Wright. So who's who? <laughs> well, I was being gender specific, but if you'd prefer not to be. I mean, I can't sing, but apparently neither can Mariah Carey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. She can sing, just not when things don't go right. I mean, look, she's built her whole brand as being a diva, so I think this goes right in line with it, right? Did Seacrest have an okay night? Uh, I didn't watch. The only thing we saw was uh, Anderson Cooper and Kathy Griffith. Oh, were they good? They're always funny. We're yeah, they, CNN they have a really when it comes good to rapport, New and yeah. he just laughs the entire time. Yeah, yeah. yeah he good. seems fun. Yeah, yeah he does. Yeah, excellent. Well, happy new year, everybody. Hope uh, everybody is off to a good start for 2017. Many of us believe that this new year could not come soon enough. And we are going to talk about all of that. Now that we've had a nice restful break, we're back at it again. Talk about education reform. So let's do education reform update. Okay, everyone. So we've got big stuff coming up. Of course, a new administration coming in. Betsy DeVos uh, has her confirmation hearing next week, January 11th. That's a big event. Uh, But we're going to talk big picture. Uh, Ended the year last year talking about how 2016 was the year we came apart as a country and also in many respects as an education reform movement. Some of the big causes for that. And now I start the year with a more hopeful uh, piece in the Education Gadfly arguing that 2017 is the year we could come together again. Kumbaya. Kumbaya. Yes. Uh, And some of you out there, cynical people, (laughs) also even some of our cynical friends here at Fordham, like like Robert, get off my lawn, Pondicio, you know, are are thinking that maybe I've I've gone all soft. Uh, That's what happens. I, I spend, you know, 10 days with my adorable children. And I just mellow out. Everything's all touchy. I think it's good to start off with hope, right? All right. Well, so let's let, proven wrong. Let, let's talk about some of this stuff. I mean, you know, I, I I try to make the case, and let, let me know what you guys think about this. That especially within education reform, there's a few things that that we can do to try to at least have more civil debate and to come together. Get it doesn't mean we're going to resolve all of our differences. There's mm-hmm. going to be sharp debates this year. If, for example, there is some kind of private school choice push at the federal level, and mm-hmm. you know strong disagreements about whether that's even a good idea. People who don't like private school choice, some of us who don't like the idea of the federal government doing it, you know, the contours of it, should there be testing, should there be accountability, all kinds of other issues mm-hmm. where we we don't all see eye to eye. Uh, that's not going to go away. And likewise for our country, I mean, we're going to have big, huge policy debates for sure. Oh yeah. As uh, it appears that the Republican Congress is going to try to be quite aggressive and, uh, and get uh, the new president to sign um, some pretty sweeping reforms. So that's not like disagreement's going to go away. The question is, can we find a way to talk to each other and work together in a way that's more productive than what happened in 2016? Mm-hmm. And look, here's the first principle I want to talk about, which is just simply empathy, or you can call it compassion. Acknowledging where people are coming from mm-hmm. and the pain that a lot of people are experiencing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point to start on. And I definitely agree that part. I think it's more feasible within the education <laughs> reform movement. I'm not sure I agree with the way that you take the approach with the entire country at large. But I think within the ed reform movement, as 
we can kind of turn a focus towards policy. I think being in a non-election year, no matter how people feel about the incoming administration, Mm -hmm. not having an election, I think will Mm -hmm. really help with that. You know, when I think about the empathy, so for for example, we had some heated debates last year about the Black Lives Matter movement Mm -hmm. and some of the repercussions for what that means for schools, for student discipline. Mm -hmm. And look, you know, I've been pretty critical of that movement. My own view is I, I look at the data and it looks to me like, Actually, these shootings, as horrible as they are, are still uh, very uncommon, that there's not great evidence that it's happening more to one group than to other groups. But when I hear, you know, friends of mine like Darrell Bradford say, hey, I feel afraid to walk down the street because I'm afraid I'm going to get shot by a cop, you know, Mm -hmm. or, you know, even, you know, short of that, that I'm going to be harassed and pulled over and, you know, really uh, have my rights taken away. I mean, I got to listen to that, you know, and I got to acknowledge that that, that's real for him. So so we have to start by acknowledging that for a lot of people, look, these issues are are very personal, that they're very emotional. That goes for other reformers. It goes for teachers and traditional public schools who feel like we've been beating up on them forever. You know, it it goes for everybody. There's a lot of pain out there and we got to start by uh, by seeing it. And sort of in that same vein, related to it, I think we have to both in ed reform, but as a country too. We have to, in this year, be careful to not dismiss an idea or an action simply because it came from a person or a group that you don't like. I think it's really important to actually step back, put away any bias, and actually evaluate Mm -hmm. whatever the policy or idea or action is. And if it actually is good, give that person or group credit, even if you really don't like them. In other words, Trump might actually do something good. Yes. Yes. Alyssa, you look skeptical. I I mean, I love the beginning of the year. I'm a huge believer in New Year's resolutions. I signed up for a marathon on New Year's (laughs) Day. But there is an element to which I completely agree with the point that you're making. But I'm skeptical of how it plays out in reality, particularly given that there's a lot of choosing what we believe and choosing what is fact, choosing what is fiction. And if we can't even agree on simple facts that becomes tricky, especially when people, especially when you talk about the country at large, where there are a lot of different information sources, there's a lot of different perspectives. It's really tough to keep, a, you know, 250, 260 million people together. And if people are, you know, not trusting institutions as much as they're self-reporting that they're not trusting institutions, that we're not agreeing on kind of a cogent idea of what is true, what is real, what is happening it's tough right. to get to that level of a but, Like it's 320 million, not 260. Oh my people. God. See, boom, boom. <laughs> See? Ah, yes. Kidding. All right. The other one, next, next principle I have is humility, right? Is just to say that, hey, this is not a time for making grand sweeping promises. Uh, you know, we're going to eliminate the achievement gap by, by December. You know, we've got to have, <laughs> uh, you know, we've got to really focus on being aggressive and, and have a sense of urgency in the work that we're doing, but also some sense of realism. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then finally, the notion of subsidiarity. Now, this is a, a Catholic principle. A new word, too. Uh, Vocab lesson. Is that? Oh, yeah. No, this is a new Come on. If, if you read, you know, national affairs and things like that, it says a very popular word on the right. But, it, you know, it could be read as basically local control or federalism, push power down to the lowest possible level. But it also recognizes that, that you know, the lowest possible level where it makes sense. You know, this is a Catholic principle. And the Catholic Church, of course, has a pope. Okay, so it's not about devolving authority in all situations, but it is about uh, whenever possible empowering people on the front lines. And and as something to come around, we have a divided country. We have these red states and these blue states. You know, let red states and blue states 
go their own way and, and try some things that might look very differently. And within the states, mm-hmm. let's allow blue cities, if they really want to, to do some things quite differently from the rest of the state. You know, that's what subsidiarity and, and that means, you know, kind of holding our nose and seeing some people maybe try some things that we're not big fans of, but we, uh, you know, that rather than have, uh, you know, the one size fits all solution. Is this, is this reasonable? Yeah. Um, and I think one of the more important points that you make in your article is when you're talking about this local control, you're not exactly saying that that means school boards. You're talking about, right. People who are yeah. the closest to it, which yeah. is generally parents and teachers and school yeah. leaders and things like that. And I think that's an important point. Especially right after an election, we often talk about red and blue states, but Mm -hmm. you make a good point too, right? That it should also be about red and blue cities and towns and schools, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Allow these different areas with these different values to do their own thing and sort of trust them to do those things. I mean, back to the school discipline thing Mm -hmm. again. You know, look, you, you know where I stand on this. I think that I worry deeply that this push to reduce suspensions is going to lead to uh, schools being less safe and orderly and less learning going on. But I also have to acknowledge that there are these, you know, values that are conflicting. And if there are places where they feel like, look, we just feel like we are suspending too many African-American boys and we want to do that less. And even we're willing to have schools be somewhat less orderly and there to be somewhat less learning going on. Uh, but we think that's a reasonable trade-off. If there are, are, you know, blue cities out there that want to make that deal, I feel like, look, maybe I, I need to be able to respect that. Uh, or if there are schools out there that want to make that deal, it's again, not something I would agree with. I wouldn't make that deal, but that's how we have to deal in a, in a big diverse country with lots mm-hmm. of strong opinions. How do we allow for that kind of, you know, basically diversity and uh, pluralism to thrive? I would also put on uh, the Fordham researcher hat and mention that this helps us better understand what works and what doesn't. And as people who argue for policy, I think we have to be self-aware and think about and realize when a policy that we're arguing for is based on a subjective and personal set of values and principles. And when you see that, know that somebody else might have different subjective ones too. And to respect those. All right. Kumbaya, my friends. Kumbaya. Very well. We are off and running. By next week, I'm sure we'll be back to more divisive topics. (laughs) Uh, But until then, it's time for everyone's favorite Amber's Research Minute. Welcome back to the show and Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Thank you, Mike. Yeah. Hey, we were talking about Mariah Carey earlier. Oh, man. Did she just bomb it or what? And she's such a diva. I'm like, that was exactly what Mike said. Just sing. Yeah. You know, but no, she didn't have her Millie Vanilli back up. So. (laughs) And <laughs> it was just embarrassing. I, I love the Millie so Vanilli reference. So I, I I wonder how many of our listeners out there got that. Do you get it, Alyssa? Uh, they stole the Queen mm. song in '92. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. no, no. Really? Oh, that that reference is no. that old. <sighs> wait, no, we are that old. <laughs> uh, Grammy's lip sync. Yeah. Okay, we'll talk about Ashley Simpson after right. the show. Yeah. Right? She's the, the more modern. I example. think not just Grammys. I think entire them was lip sync. <laughs> yes, like it right. was never them. That was uh, never them. They had like the cool look and that yeah, was about it. That so. was it. All right, Amber. Uh, hey, we're, I'm excited. Uh, it, it is 2017, it but is. we're going to have one more 
awesome segment about 2016. At the 2016 Apple. I had to go through and pick my top five favorite studies from 2016, Ooh. except it's the top six because I just couldn't <laughs> cut out right. one of them. That's okay. Six for 16. That six works. For 16. Number six, the study of DC Impact Teacher Evaluation by Tom D. and Friends. This mm-hmm. came out in February. I liked that one. Wasn't it good? It was a really good study. It found that teacher turnover in DC had a fairly uh, large positive impact mm-hmm. on math achievement and a positive impact on reading achievement, though that was smaller. The exit of low-performing teachers consistently produced large improvements in teaching quality, primarily because DC is able to replace their low performers with higher performers. We ended up saying, okay, question is, is DC an outlier here mm-hmm. with their loads of talent? That was number six. Number five, we had lots of interest in school discipline policy in 2016. Mm-hmm. As we all know, in March, I covered a study that examined the long-term effects of disruptive elementary school peers on other students' high school test scores and other outcomes. Just a little little factoid. I didn't like how they defined disruptive peer, by the mm-hmm. way, but we won't get into methods. But they used the variable was the family had petitioned the court for a restraining order. Mm-hmm. So they came from a violent family. That's how they defined disruptive. Yeah. Okay. It found that exposure to one additional disruptive peer in an elementary class of 25 students reduced math and reading test scores in grades 9 and 10 by about 0.02 standard deviation, which is pretty small. Mm -hmm. Yet exposure to male disruptive peers resulted in larger negative effects on high school test scores and declines in college degree attainment. Disruptive peers had the largest effect on the test scores of high achievers. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of a nuanced study, but actually it was a little interesting about how it defined disruption. but. It was one of the few studies that was, you know, on school discipline policy that I thought was a little bit more nuanced and worth including in the top six. Mm-hmm. Number four, <laughs> NBR study of the Louisiana voucher program created this quite a, was a stir in 2016. Yeah. It found that attending a voucher eligible private school reduced voucher students' test scores in most core subject areas. We cautioned eh, that it was early. It was a one-year evaluation, remember. It was far from the last word because we'd had these other gold standard studies that had showed promising Mm -hmm. outcomes for students, particularly African-Americans, in the smaller voucher Mm -hmm. programs. But regardless, it started a debate on whether testing and accountability requirements were scaring private schools away. Remember Mm -hmm. that debate? Even though the the study itself did not address that question. That's kind of one of my themes. I found that it's studies start debates of questions that they don't actually address. And, And by the way, the second year results were not quite as bad. As bad. But still pretty bad. Number three, April brought a study by Tim Sass and colleagues that found that enrolling in a charter high school is positively linked to educational attainment, specifically the likelihood of earning a high school diploma within five years and the likelihood of attending college. There was also a positive relationship with college persistence and with earnings. Do you guys remember that study? I do. I am actually blanking on this blanking one. On that? Yeah. It, it replicated another study of the year before that they'd done. Mm-hmm. It started a debate again on whether we should use test scores to judge high schools, even though this particular study, again, did not examine that. But you remember that debate? Uh, yeah. Jay Green <laughs> continues that debate as Today, often as can. Yes. That is right. Number two, we're getting through them pretty quickly. August brought an important study on school closures that found, quote, students benefited from having a low performing option eliminated from their high school choice set. Mm -hmm. So in other words, students who would have been assigned to one of the schools slated for closure, but went to a different school instead, Mm -hmm. they benefited uh, because they enrolled in a higher performing school. Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, they perform better there. Shocker. Um, Our own study of school closures in Ohio found also benefits to school closure. Number one, drum roll. Do you guys know what it is? 
Your study of Park well, Smarter Balance and ACT Aspire? I actually had a little PS down there. I chose not to do that because it, like, it felt like cheating, right? Oh, that was Amber, released. but you, we would have understood because it, it was an amazing, it was amazing study. study. It and was almost released in February, but anyway, mm-hmm. I did not go that way. I used a study uh, that came out in November. Mathematica released a study that found ah, that teachers of yes. low-income students are nearly as effective as teachers of high-income students on average and that high- and low-income kids have similar chances of being taught by the most and least effective teachers. That was pretty big news since we'd always assume that poor kids get the worst teachers. Mm-hmm. But later, our buddy, shout out to Dan Goldhaber, mm-hmm. attempted to add more nuance to those findings by examining similar questions with data in North Carolina and Washington. He found that the earlier study may have underestimated the teacher quality gap by looking at differences within versus between districts. I know we're getting a little wonky here, but it mattered. The difference between districts are the main driver of inequities he found. Yet in the end, and again, this was a point Matt Barnum made in the 74. Mm -hmm. We got to put all this in perspective, Mm -hmm. right? At the end of the day, disparities in teacher quality are not going to eliminate the achievement gap. All this stuff outside of school is is important too. Right. But, mm-hmm. but, but the gaps, but, the teacher yeah. gap probably does exist. exist. It's mm-hmm. just mo- <laughs> mostly between That's districts. Right. Depends mm-hmm. on how you measure it. So, Woo, hey, that was a, a good year. year. I, actually, research. I could have done like 10, but wow. I, I just disciplined myself. <laughs> Amber, this, this is, is great exciting. Year. I mean, look, was there was fun. a time not long ago when it, there was hard to find any good That's studies. Right. And right. so kudos to Russ Whitehurst and others for, uh, you know, spurring on a, a big revolution in education yes. research. Mm-hmm. Honorable mention. I'll, okay, I'll on, mention it. I, I feel like yeah. it deserves one. Matt Kraft, honorable oh. mention. Remember yeah. his study where he went back and revisited the widget effect? Yes. And found that, again, teacher evaluation reform had yeah. done virtually yeah. nothing. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, shout out to Matt. Mm. <laughs> trying to think what my favorite study was last year. I think there was a blanking on it, but it involved charter distances and how far parents were willing to travel mm. for an elementary mm. school. Okay, I think it was in D.C., yeah. Mm, all right. Yeah. Ma- I think David might have been the, playing the yeah. role of Amber that I week. will admit I only covered RMs that I actually covered. Yes, of course. <laughs> well, good. Well, hey, uh, you know, if there are some more good studies in 2017, you will hear about them yes, here. that's right. On Amber's Research Minute. All right, that is all the time we've got for this week. Until next week. I'm Melissa Schwing. And I'm Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, signing off. The Education Gadfly Show is a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, located in Washington, D.C. DC. For more information, visit us online at edexcellence.net.